Today we're going to read from Genesis chapter 27. If you have your Bibles, you can open up with me to, to Genesis chapter 27. And as you're looking at your life, what is the story of your life? I, I'm, I'm going to repent of something else, actually. I don't think I've ever repented of this before. Uh, but when I, I graduated college, if you would have asked me what my story was, I couldn't have waited to tell you my sob story. It was so terrible. I couldn't find a girlfriend. I couldn't find a wife. There was no opportunities for advancement at my career. And my roommates, none of them were following the Lord. And I felt like if I met you, it wasn't going to be long before. Yeah, yeah, oh, I can't find a girlfriend in my life. And that was the story of my life. And we can make our life. And that's pathetic. <laughs> that is pathetic. None of those problems are, are hard to overcome, especially if you've got faith in the Lord. And yeah, I made that the story of my life. And as we go through our life, we can make our story about what Satan's doing in our life. Or we can look at what God's doing in our life and make that our story. And sometimes you run across people and you hear their story about how tough their life is or what's going on. And you think, really, that's it? Which is what I feel about myself when I look back 20 years ago. Or it can be really, really tough stuff. Really hard things. I know some of you have sure shared me the story of your life and the pain that you've gone through, and that is some brutal suffering that we've been through. But even then, even in those cases, we still have the choice to make our life about what Satan's done to us, or we can make our life about how Jesus has brought victory. You know, I was thinking about this sermon series. It's a three-part sermon series. We're calling it Reconciled. I looked at the story of Jacob and Esau, and it breaks into pretty, three pretty neat parts. The first is the sin in the family that, that leads to the problems. They've all got sin in the family. And that's the first part. The second part is the conflict and separation that it brings. And that's what we're going to talk about this week. We're in the third, second part of a three-part series. And the next week, we're going to look at the incredible reconciliation that God brings. And I thought three Sundays is oh, great. We'll do three. And then I started thinking about this more and I started actually preaching through it. I was like, we could have made this 20 Sundays. We could have made it 20 Sundays. Because one of the most painful things that we're going through in this room right now, I mean, we just prayed for physical healing. That's one of them. But one of the other ones is the broken relationships in our lives. We've all got somebody or had somebody. Maybe they've passed by now, but we've all had somebody. We just want to scream, right? Like, brother, grandpa, uncle, father, sister, why can't you just love me? Right? Why can't we just get along? And what do you do with that? Especially as it go year after year. And so I was like, we could could talk about this for 10 years. We could talk about it and talk about it because it's that important. And here you have a family that's struggling. If you're struggling and your family, not the only one, everybody's got somebody like that. That's on our minds that we're praying for. Sibling, a spouse, somebody. You know who I'm talking about. They can barely bring themselves to the family gathering. They're so self-centered, self-focused with their addiction, their sin. Their... You can barely get them to come. You can barely get them to connect. It's hard. If you can get them to come at all. And here we're reading this story. And there's sin in this family. I've been struggling with the lamest, longest cough week after week. But there's sin in this family. There's sin in every person. Last week I said something that I, I want to explain a bit. And I don't take it back. I just want to explain it. I said if you want to look 
at the struggle in your life, if you want to look how Satan's getting into your life, you don't need to look any further than your own sin. If you want to look at the problems in your family, you don't have to look any further than yourself. Now, <clears throat> now I don't want to take that back, but I do want to explain. I don't mean that everything in your life is your fault at all. Every situation has been your fault. That's not what I'm saying. But as we look through the story of Jacob and Esau, one of the things we can learn about it, if we're going to learn from God's word, you look at the sin of every person in this family. It's devastating to the family. Now, every situation in your family is not your fault. However, we've all got sin. And that's where the Lord asks us to start. Your story can be about what other people have done to you. A lot of people, their story is about what their family has done to them. And that can be your story. That can be you. Maybe you've made your life about what your family's done to you. Satan creates victims, but Jesus brings victory. Jesus brings victory. And to have that victory, you've got to start with your own sin. Because when you stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, he's not going to judge you based on what people have done to you. He's going to judge you based on what you've done. And when I say things like that, I say them, I try to say them these days. When I first started preaching, I used to try to be so nice. You know, so I, guys, you might want to think about how you might be affecting this, right? Nobody hears me when I say that. I found out, you got to say it straight up because people won't hear you. That's how blind we are to you, our own sin. If you're anything like me, Satan's got to smack you upside the head to get you to listen at all. Look at what he's got to bring this family through. Look at the division. Look at the pain their sin is going to cause before anybody says, maybe I should think about what I'm doing to my family. Right? And so I stand up here and I say that to you. I'm not trying to blame you or shame you or whatever if you've been abused. As a pastor of this church, it's part of my job to make sure that this church uses the people, the resources, the blessings in it to help you out if you're in a tough situation, to help you bear your burdens. That's what a church is. And so if you're in a tough situation, I'd love to be included in that. Let me know. If I can counsel you, I'll do that. If we can help you, I'll do that. If you're not safe and you need to get to a safe spot, we'll help you do that. However, as a pastor, it's not just my job to do that. It's my job to help you to grow closer to the Lord. And one of the most spiritually dangerous positions to be in is to have something done wrong to you so that your story is about what they've done to you. Because then your life becomes, look at what they did. Look what they're doing. Look what they, and you never say, look at what I'm doing. And you never sit there and appreciate what the Lord has done to save you from your filthy sin. You sit there and you can ignore it. You sit there and you go year after year saying, it's them, it's them, it's them. And you never sit there and say, it's me, it's me, it's me. I need Jesus. One of the most spiritually dangerous positions to be in is that of a victim. And one of the things that this story teaches us is that all of us are perpetrators. We're all in need of forgiveness. We've all brought pain in the people's lives around us. And if you don't know how you're causing pain in the people's lives around you, you're not spiritually mature. It's easy to do. Everything I do, do, everything I do makes sense to me. Talk to my wife and see how much sense I actually make. And yet Satan blinds us to our own sin. 
And so that's why, that's why we're talking like we are. That's why I speak like I do. It's much better. Why is he being so mean? People have hurt me. They've done these things. It's because it's far better for me to say that to you right now than for you to stand before the Lord and have to answer that to him. And everybody could point at somebody else. In this book, in this chapter, everybody could point at somebody else. Rebecca could say, I'm a victim. The Lord spoke to me. He told me what way the family's supposed to go. Isaac won't listen. Isaac could point at Jacob and be like, my own son lied to me to my face. Jacob could point at his mom. Mom, you misled me. You made me take things into my own hands rather than waiting and trusting in the Lord. Esau could point at his mom. Look at what she's taken from me. They could all point to somebody else. But this is a story about how Jesus brings victory. And when we make our lives about what God is doing in our life, we'll have victory. That's something that I need to get better at. And as you're sitting there right now, you might have never even thought about that. When people ask you, how's it going? Everyone who's following the Lord should be able to tell and respond where the Lord is leading them. Right? When I was miserable and couldn't find a spouse, couldn't find a wife, my story should have been, you know what? The Lord is blessing me with the opportunity to figure out who I am and be okay with who I am and be okay by myself so that when I'm in a relationship, I'm not so needy, I drive everybody away. Like there's a million things that I could have said about what the Lord was doing in my life and blessing me at that time. And that's what our story should be about as followers of Jesus. If we're following him, we'll know where he's leading. We'll know what he's doing. And do you know that right now? I would say nobody in this family that we're reading about knows that. As we read through, it doesn't seem like anybody has an eye on that. And how much better to have an eye on that before it happens rather than after it happens. How much better to be prepared. How much better to know as you're going through it. How much better if God doesn't have to bring you to an all-time low like he's going to have to do to the people in this family. How much better if God doesn't have to bring you to an all-time low before you'll finally turn your eyes to him and say, Lord, where are you leading me? I know what Satan's doing in my life. Well aware of that. I think about it all the time. Where are you leading me, Jesus? Satan wants us to focus on what other people have done to us so that we won't focus on what we've done against God and others. And sin in your heart is what the Lord is looking to save you from. He's going to save us from all of it. But to be saved from any of it, we have to start with the sin in our heart to repent and follow him. And so let's begin reading. Last week, again, we talked about the sin that causes, that brings to some of this separation and division. Today, we're going to look at the division that the sin causes. And the next week, we're going to look at the reconciliation that Jesus brings. Let's begin reading in Genesis chapters 27, verse 1. It says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son! And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And I bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening. When Isaac spoke to his son Esau, 
Last week, we talked about how these parents play favorites. Isaac loves Esau. Rebecca loves Jacob. And here, it's exactly, the language in there is exactly reflecting that, isn't it? How many of you, when the kid that pushes your buttons does something wrong, that you turn to your spouse and say, would you speak to your son? And now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his, it's her son too. Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to whose son? She said to her son, Jacob. I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I might eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. We talked about last week, I believe it was chapter 25, verse 23. The Lord actually speaks to Rebecca and says, in our culture, it's the older one who gets the blessing, who gets the inheritance. That's what we're talking about right now. The family has accumulated all this stuff. It's an agrarian culture, right? They got the family business. That's how they live. They got the goats, the sheep, the whatever. Somebody needs to be entrusted to that when dad is gone so that the family can continue to live. And they give a double blessing to the older son because he's always the one who's taking care of the younger kids. They're old, you know, the oldest are always the ones that take care of the younger ones. And when the father passes, when the mother passes, they entrust that to the older to continue to do that. That's wisdom. That's wisdom right there. And so Esau's in line for a double blessing. That's what their culture tells them. But as we talked about last week, nothing should stand in the way of God blessing the people who love him. And God lets Rebecca know before she ever gives birth, one's going to be stronger. He's not talking about physical strength. He's talking about his love for the Lord. One's going to be stronger than the other, the younger shall be the one who served. The older shall serve the younger in this family. He's the one that... It's just like what happens a few generations later in a little more famous story that we did a sermon series on when I first started called Turning the Tables. If you're interested, you can always go back and listen to the sermon series online if you missed that one. I encourage you to listen to it. It has to do with this same family. And it's the same thing when God gives Joseph a dream that all his brothers are going to bow down to him. He's the youngest. But in this family, he's the one who loves the Lord. Nothing should stand in the way of God blessing the people who love him. And here in this chapter as well, it's the same thing in this family, the younger. I know it's different. I know it's unusual. You're going to want to bless this younger son. He's the one who's following me. God told Rebecca this. And what is, what is Isaac doing? Is he listening to the Lord? Doesn't look like it to me. God has told, you know, the problem, somebody needs to tell God what he did wrong here. Because if he wanted to speak to Isaac, the last person he should have done it through is his spouse. Doesn't he know that the last person we're going to listen to in this life is the one he gave us to marry? How many of us wouldn't hear God's word if our spouse shouted it at us at the top of their lungs, which they probably do? The husband's supposed to lead the family to God, but he's not leading the family to God. He's leading where he wants to go. And the first thing you want to do 
that we can learn from this passage, as you're looking to grow closer to the Lord, the person who probably knows the most, probably, they're not always right. Everything they shout at you, you know, they shout at you and when you're, when you're throwing plates at each other, everything they shout is not correct. However, they are the person who knows you the best and they are the person who's going to know the way that you can grow to the Lord the most. They might have screamed at you. They might have had a moment of frustration and said, you never take out the garbage. But okay, let's just, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's think about what we could do better. Maybe, maybe what they're telling me is that I've got a sin in my life and it's affecting the family and said, so I don't help very much. Could it be? Could it be pot? And you sit there and you listen to what your spouse has said and you look for the truth in it and you will find plenty of sin to repent of. Here Rebecca has told, or God has told Rebecca what this family needs to do to follow the Lord. And she has told Isaac and he is not listening. And do you listen to how the Lord speaks to you through your spouse? What's your spouse saying to you that's inconvenient truth? Isaac has a spouse. God has spoken to her. She's worth listening to. Esau himself, he didn't do himself any favors when he married. He married two wives from among the neighboring nations, which we skipped this pa- in this passage, but chapter 26, verse 34 and 35, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of a Biri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And so he's failed to follow God's plan for his marital life. God created marriage to be between one man and one woman for life. This is definitely what the Bible teaches. That's definitely what the Old Testament teaches. I don't want to go on a, on a tangent too far, but just because it's pre- described in the Bible doesn't mean it's described, or just because it's described in the Bible doesn't mean it's prescribed by God. David sent a man into war hoping that he would die so he could steal his wife. That was not godly. Just because somebody didn't follow God's plan for the family doesn't mean that this suddenly God changed his plan for the family just because the Bible described an ungodly marriage. You know, when this whole marriage thing came out, they came out with a ve- everybody who didn't read the Bible fell for this. They came out with a very convincing chart about all the different types of marriage in the Bible. All the different types of marriage. And we got this kind of marriage. You got that kind of marriage. We won't go into too much because it's a family Sunday. But everybody who didn't read the Bible said, well, look at that. How can I believe the Bible? Look at all these people and, how, and these marriages that the Bible says are in. But they never said they were good marriages. They never said they were godly marriages. Just describe the sin that people went through. When God created marriage, he did so in Genesis chapter one through three. The people didn't think God stuttered. They knew what he said. They knew what sin was. Why do you think it mentions it? Esau sinned. That's why I put it in here. God didn't change his plan. Polygamy was never God's plan. It's sin. Every time it mentions polygamy in the Bible, uh, terrible things happen in the family. Why is that? It's building off of Genesis 1 through 3, which taught us what marriage is. And it's teaching us how when we fail that, it really messes things up. Was there, I, Esau messes things up when he gets married. 2 Corinthians 6.14 is a godly principle that you should only marry people who love the Lord. Life is hard enough as it is. Marriage is hard enough as it is. You need God as the foundation of your marriage. Some of you right now are married to somebody who doesn't love the Lord. If I can help you, if I can pray for you, let me know. 
and kids, all the kids, every kids, hey kids, my kids, hey everybody, can I get your attention, kids, kids, when you grow up, you want to marry somebody not based on how they look, not based on how much money they have. You want to marry somebody who loves the Lord. All you little boys in here, if your mama's here, look at your mama. When you grow up, you want to marry somebody who loves the Lord like your mama. And all you little girls, look at your dad if he's here. And if he's not here, just look at the guy in front of you. Look at the... (laughs) You want to marry somebody who loves the Lord like your dad. The most important thing in my life, kids, the most important thing in my life is my faith in Jesus. It's like having the hack to life. And the second most important thing in my life is my wife's faith. Esau messes it up. He, he doesn't love the Lord, and he marries two people who don't love the Lord. Esau doesn't love God, but Jacob does. As we go through this passage, they'll make plenty of mistakes, but this one thing makes all the difference in what their legacy is. Jacob is remembered as a great man of God, a hero of the faith. He messed up plenty, but he trusted in the Lord and kept falling in. Esau is remembered as a massive failure. Esau is remembered as somebody who made life difficult for everybody. And whose kids continued that legacy on. I just read in Numbers chapter something, Numbers chapter whatever. The Israelites are trying to go into the promised land. They run into Esau's descendants. They say, can we please pass through your land? We won't eat anything. We won't take anything. We won't drink anything. We just want to get to what God has promised us. And so we can get in there. Can we pass through your land? And Esau's descendants say, no. And they come out with them with a sword to fight them off which is we're going to see. It's what Isaac predicts will happen with his son. Because Isaac knows his son. He knows him better than anybody. He loves him more than anybody. And he still knows what a massive pain in the neck this guy is. We want to marry people who love the Lord. Now, if you're sitting here today and your spouse doesn't love the Lord, they're still able. God is still able to use them to speak to you, to speak through them. What does your spouse say that you need to repent of that you can grow in your faith? The next thing that we learn is that not only should we listen to our spouse, we should probably care if our family follows Jesus, if our family loves the Lord. Isaac loves Esau, man. He just loves that kid. They hunt, they fish, they get along so well. It's like he never cares that he's not following God. Maybe dad should have cared a little bit more about Esau following the Lord and a little less about Esau being good at sports. Isn't that so many families, though? It's like, I love this thing. You know, kid, I don't, I don't care if you follow the Lord. What I really want you to do, I don't care if you're, if you're you know, sleeping with somebody before you get married. You know what? I just wait to get married. Wait to get married. Because what you really need to do is make sure you go to college. Right, get that, get that degree because what's important is your job, the money. You got to accomplish what you want. You got the career. So don't get married. Don't let that derail you. Maybe you should care more about your kid following the Lord. 
You know, we got church on Sunday, but you know what? We got the soccer tournament and you got the Lord of all creation. Look at this is one of the most massive idols in our culture. You got the Lord of all creation who's commanded for us to take a day and spend it in rest and worship of him. And then, boy, you got the ball game. You know what? You know what we're doing. You know where we're at. Man, it's so tempting. We get, our kids get so much fun. Kids getting into sports, it's so much fun. It's a good thing. The more noble the idol, the more deceptive it is, isn't it? Maybe dad should care more about the kids loving Jesus. You got practice on Wednesday and you got youth group. Well, you know where we're going to be. And then your kid grows up and they end up sleeping with somebody before they get married and it doesn't work out and everybody's got broken hearts and it takes them 10 years to recover. But you know what? At least they learn to kick the ball, right? Good job. Good job, dad. Look at Isaac. Good job, Isaac. You had a lot of fun hunting and fishing with him, didn't you? But you never taught him to follow the Lord. Look at the pain it's caused the family. Where are your priorities? Care about whether your people in the family love Jesus. Isaac still plans to bless Esau, even though he knows it's not God's will. How do we know he's listening to Rebecca? How do we know he's heard that? Well, this would always be a public event. It's a big deal in the family. It's a celebration. It's a tradition. You have a party. He's not having any parties. He's at home by himself, Esau. You know, it's interesting. When people are not in church, it's almost always good to give them a call and say, where are you at? Because instead of coming to church to repent and receive the Lord's forgiveness and love, instead we come to church and we think we've been really holy and good. And it's actually when we've really got something to repent of that we decide to stay home and not show up. This is supposed to be a moment for the family before God. But Isaac knows he's got sin. Isaac knows there's something wrong. And so he's doing it at home and quiet. Why is he doing it quiet? Well, for a couple reasons. Maybe he knows Esau sold his birthright. We looked about that last week. Esau's in a really tough position. He's starving. He's famished. He might be near death. We don't know. It's not good, whatever it is. But is also, he's also held uh, responsible for it. Hebrews 12, 6 tells us that he despised this inheritance. He didn't care about it. He didn't take it seriously. And so he's in a tough position, but he certainly should have made the other decision. And he comes to Jacob. And he says, I'm starving. I've been gone for weeks. I've been, I've been hunting, whatever. And Jacob says, if you give me the inheritance, I'll give you a bowl of soup. And he does it. And so here, maybe Isaac's aware of that. And he said, that's silly. I'm not changing my inheritance based on a bowl of soup. If my kids came to me, right? If my kids came to me at my deathbed and said, I deserve my brother's, what you're going to give my brother? I said, why is that? And I said, well, I gave him a sandwich. Like, what's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Why don't you ever help your brother? He's near death and you gave him a sandwich and you'd swindle him out of everything he had. Isaac, maybe he's heard of that, or, or maybe he's heard of Rebecca. Maybe it's both, but he's got plans to bless Esau. And it's not just Jacob and Rebecca that are planning on deception and trickery. It's Isaac and Esau, too. Son, go get me that thing. We'll, we'll do the blessing. Nobody will even know. 
And here you have Rebecca hearing, overhearing, and she's going to take matters into her own hands. You know, there's a million good things that we can do in life. Sometimes it's super important. Actually, I shouldn't say sometimes, all the time. It's super important to not do anything and sit there and find out what God's will is first. You don't want to be paralyzed in activity, but look at how many people convince themselves they're doing something good when they're not. Most of the time when we sit out there and we're like, I should do something good to follow the Lord, what we do is something that makes us feel virtuous and not necessarily something that God needs. That's why it's way easier to find people to serve on the worship team than in the nursery. Because you sit there and say, I should do something good for the Lord. What can I do? I can sing. Everyone should hear my beautiful voice. And no one sits there and says, what kind of thing does the church need? What kind of thing does God need? When we sit there and we decide we're going to do something good for the Lord, we have not decided to follow the Lord yet. We've got to ask the Lord what he wants us to do. Because there's a million things that we convince ourselves are good, but they may not be God's will. And how many people in the Bible have done that? We have to stop. We have to sit. Have I decided to do something good or not? Have I decided to serve the Lord? Or have I decided to do something that I want to do? Have I decided to do something God needs? Or have I decided to do something that makes me look really great, that I can put on my Facebook page, that I can get my profile pic, that... You know, you haven't, decided, you haven't started following the Lord yet. Here's Rebecca. God has told her what to do. He hasn't told her how to do it, and she's not going to do it his way. She's going to take matters in her own hands, just like Isaac's mother did. Sarah and Abraham, same thing. Family generational sin, it just repeats itself. We learn from our parents. <clears throat> Sarah was a manipulator. She tried to manipulate the situation to get about what God was going to do in her life on her time. And now we have her daughter-in-law doing the same thing. I can't wait for the Lord. I'm going to go out and make sure that I do it myself. It's better if we just do things God's way and trust him. But here Rebecca cooks up this plan. And Jacob hears the plan. He says, that doesn't even sound good, mom. Like, what are you doing? Verse 11, but Jacob said to his, Rebecca's mother, behold, my brother Esau's a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him because that's what we're doing. He knows it and bring a curse upon myself, not a blessing. Mom, this is wrong. But you notice, he doesn't, he confesses the sin that they're planning, but he doesn't repent. He just cares about getting caught. I have to talk to my kids about that. One of them does something mean to the other. I say, what are you doing? Say you're sorry. Love your brother or sister. And they go, where? Like, what, 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 why are you crying? You're not the one who hurt the other person. Are you sorry because you did something wrong? Or are you sorry because you got caught? Are you doing things right because you love them? Or are you doing things right only because you fear the consequences? Here Jacob has a massive lack of love for his brother and his father. We're going to mock dad, but that's fine with me. But I just don't want to get caught, mom. Isn't that like us with sin? You can tell us, you read the Bible, this is a terrible sin. It's going to bring consequences in your life, separate you from God, bring pain into your family. Are you still going to do it? Yes. Verse 13, his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Let your curse be on me. Jacob's not bothered by the 
ungodliness. He's bothered by the potential consequences. And when his mom tells him, I'll take the consequences, he's fine going through with it. But you know what? That's Rebecca's second lie. She ain't going to take the consequences. If you're ever, kids, this is another good part for you. Kids, listen, if you're ever about to do something wrong and the person with you says, don't worry, if we get caught, I'll handle it. Don't listen to them. Never trust your partner in crime. Instead, get out of the crime business. (laughs) And adults, it's the same thing. When somebody calls up to you and says, I just got to share my heart. I just got to vent. This person did this and that and that and there. If If they're willing to say that to you about someone else, they are willing to gossip about you to someone else. Don't participate in the crime business. Don't trust that person. Get out. If that person is willing to deceive someone else, they're willing to deceive you. Jacob should not trust his mother. Frankly, who in his family can you trust? This is brutal. Let your curse be on me. She's so blind that she's got good intentions. She can't see that she's leading her son to ruin. This is her second deception. She's just planning on deceiving her husband. Now she's deceived her son. All take the punishment. I'll take the consequences if we got caught. The next thing we can learn, we got to follow the Lord and not our family. We're talking about reconciliation, but the most important thing to be reconciled to is God. Somebody's going to lead in your family. Look at all these people. Somebody's going to lead in the family at every time. Somebody's leading. That should be you leading to the Lord And if your family won't follow and it causes separation, not all separation is bad. You want to be separated so that you can follow Jesus Christ. Matthew 10, 34, 39, Jesus says that. Because of me, families will be separated. Some people will love me. Some people won't. You got to choose me. You follow the Lord and trust the Lord. If your family experiences separation because you've decided to follow God, praise the Lord, do it, and trust in him. Jacob should have said, Mom, no way. I'm following God. And he would have been alone, at least for a while. But who knows what God would have done if he started to lead now. He's going to lead later. Better get a jump on it and do it early. Instead of a family, a temporal passing family, we want an eternal family. If we love our family, we won't care so much about the reconciliation here as much as we do in the future with the Lord. Here's somebody needed to be thinking about that. She dresses him up. Verse 14, so he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were in with her in the house. And she put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food in the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Jacob's going to be deceived when he gets older by the same things. His sons are going to come to him. They're going to take a goat, They're going to take some blood. They're going to do the same exact thing. Bring it to him. You know, God is so amazing what he allows in our life. I'm sure when Jacob saw that, when he found out that his kids deceived him with the exact same things, he deceived his father. He probably thought, you know, Lord, I can't even be mad at that one. That's amazing. I'm so humbled right now. I understood. I understand now what I've done to my father. I understand why everything was so terrible. 
here. He gets deceived when he's older by the same things that he deceived his father with. And he went to his father and said, my father. And his father said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. How can you just stand and lie to people like this? I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. He's not just lying. He's not just deceiving. Now he's bringing God into it. Just because you have something doesn't mean the Lord gave it to you. The Lord didn't grant him success. The Lord didn't give him what he has. Job 21.13 says, The wicked spend their days in prosperity, and suddenly they go down to Sheol, the grave. Just because you're prosperous, just because you have something, doesn't mean the Lord gave it to you. This guy came to my church. He said, I'm so happy. Would you marry me and this, this person I'm with? She was half his age. I was like, yeah, sure, tell me your story. While I was married, it was a terrible marriage, and God brought me this person. I'm so blessed. I am so happy. I am so thankful. I said, not a chance. The Lord did not bring this into your life. Satan did. You need to go back to your spouse. I don't care if you get along with this person better. Marriage is not about your happiness. It's about your holiness. Do you care about your salvation? Are you a Christian? How can you be a Christian and do this? You got to think about that. I had another friend of mine who divorced his wife in horrible fashion. We're all sitting there like, what is going on with this person? He finds a new spouse. They roll up to the house. His kids came up and told me, yeah, dad, you know, business is going really well. He brought us with a, his new, you know, our new mom to the house. It's a massive giant house. And he said, look at how the Lord has blessed us. And it's a family Sunday. So I'm not going to go into it. But there's kids who follow God and there's kids who don't. And this poor kid in my youth group is telling me about her new sister-ish who she has to now share a room with. Just because you have something doesn't mean God gave it to you. Sometimes we lie so much that even we believe it. Jacob's the one who loves the Lord in this. If that doesn't humble you, I don't know what will. I sit here and I read this stuff and I'm like, I need to reconnect with my mentor because I got to make sure I know my blind spots. Because, man, the amount of deception that Satan get us to follow, even believers who love him, like we need people. We need the church. We need each other. We need mentors. Because Satan comes to us and deceives us. I'm going to try to wrap in this chapter. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are of Esau, and he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, come near me and kiss me, my son. And he does it. Talk about a Judas. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled, how can you do this? And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And with that, Jacob receives his father's blessing and his brother's inheritance.
And why couldn't he take it back? Well, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before he came and I've blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even my also, my father. Why couldn't he take it back? Why? Well, in their culture, what they did mattered. They believed what they did mattered before the Lord. And they believed it so much that even if they messed it up, they go through with it. God just is so brilliant. He allows Jacob to be deceived in the exact same way. He's going to go to his uncle. He's going to marry. He's going to think he's marrying one of his uncle's children, one of his uncle's daughters. He's going to try to, he married the wrong one. He doesn't divorce her because what he does before God matters. Isn't that incredible? They believed in marriage so much that what they did before God, they weren't going to divorce no matter what. It's the same with the blessing. And so here Esau's crying. It's gone. The blessing's gone. Yeah, once it's gone, it's gone. We did it. It's over before God. We did it before God. It's been done. And Esau's crying. Esau's not a victim. Not everybody who cries is the victim. Next time somebody calls you on the phone and is crying about what somebody else did to you, you don't know the story. They could be the victim, but you only know half of the story. Not everybody who cries is a victim. I'll go downstairs. One of my kids got mad at the other and hit the other one. I say, what'd you do? The one who hit the other one starts crying. It's like, I'm going to get in trouble. I better create a diversion. Esau, he was just about to deceive everybody too. They know, hey, let's go do this in private. Isaac's like, cool. It's like Esau's just mad because his brother was better at being deceptive than he was. Not everybody who cries is the victim. Here he's crying, dad. But you said, Dad, we were going to cheat them first. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he's taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Jacob means deceiver. We know that. Partly from this passage right here. He's cheated me twice. Jacob means cheater. Jacob's name is going to mean something else when he gets done, though, because he loves the Lord and his life is going to be changed by God. Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he's cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live. Isaac knows what kind of person, this is harsh. Isaac knows what kind of person he is, and he ends up being right. You shall serve your brother, you shall grow restless, and you shall break his yoke from your neck. And now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with his father blessed him. He hated Jacob. Look at what the mom has done. What an awkward dinner the next night. We'll get to that in a second. Jacob, he is, I hated Jacob, and he said to himself, the days of mourning of my father are approaching, and I will kill my brother Jacob. I'm so sad, what will make me feel better? I know, I'm going to plot his death. Not everything that makes us feel better we should do. 
But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau confronts himself about planning to kill you. Remember how I told you I would take the punishment? Oh, not. Get out of here. It's on you. I lied. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran. You know, she just wants the best for her son. Look at what she's done. Look what a manipulator. Look at, she's destroyed the family. She's sending her son off to her, her uncle, his uncle, her brother. She knows her uncle. This guy's the big leagues. Jacob's small time. Jacob's going to go serve this guy. He's going to work seven years for his daughter. He's going to give him the other daughter under a veil. He marries the wrong one. Like, surprise. You thought you were something, kid. You're in the major leagues now. This guy knows something about deception. Jacob's never going to see his father again. He's never going to see his mother again. He's going to have to run from his brother, all because his mom wanted to help. Stay away for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both of you in one day? And the next night they sit down to dinner. One of Isaac's last memories of his wife is her deceiving him. The brothers want to kill each other. I mean, that's rough. Does it make you feel a little bit better about what you're going through? If God can bring healing to this family... Think of what he can do in your life. Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life. She's such a drama queen. I loathe my life because of the Hittite women of Esau. She's all mad because Esau married ungodly women. She's got a point. But the worst woman in the life of Rebecca is Rebecca. She probably shouldn't be thinking about the ungodliness of her son's wives. Look at what she just did. Before you ever go confront one of your relatives about something that they're doing, ask yourself, am I willing to sit there and talk about my sin? Am I willing to sit there and repent and improve myself before I'm going to go to them? She's going to go, oh, Esau, your, your wives are so terrible. And Isaac's sitting there thinking about, what are you doing, lady? I loathe my wife. It's better that I'm dead. Flee, Jacob, flee. Why don't you instead come back and fix things? That would be the godly thing to do. You know, we, we homeschool. My family homeschools. And I humbly, when I read passages, I guess I'm reminded that the problem's not out there. It's in here. I can homeschool, and I can do just as bad of a job as they can. I need the Lord. We need the Lord. You know, we got this desk in our kitchen. And the kids, I don't know why, but they bring all of their stuff to that desk. Their faith in us is incredible. They'll break a toy beyond repair. And without any sort of doubt in their minds, they just come and set it on the desk. And they, they, you'll take care of it. I've glued things in ridiculous, precarious positions I've sat there and held them for like an hour to make sure the glue dry because there's no way that this thing's coming back. But my kids have such trust in us. They bring us yo-yos with the string, with the knot all the way down by the axle. How do you expect me to get this? I'm not God himself. Praise the Lord that we have God himself because you can bring whatever you've got in your life. It might have a knot all the way down by the axle. There's no problem beyond our God. And you look at what this family is. I mean, if we just ended here, you'd go home crying. 
This is terrible. Thank God there's another chapter and we're going to read it next week. We're going to see what God does in their life. And as you sit there waiting for that sermon next week, think about what God could do in your life. And think about how you can repent and you can help to bring that about. Let's pray.